This is going to be a weird one on account of how my in-laws are downstairs and they're making sugar cookies with my son and I'm up here with you. Yeah, that's what I thought too. It's going to be weird. I feel kind of weird right now. Uh, it was suggested to me quite strongly um, that I take a shower. Uh, so I did. I did. I'm not an animal. I, I can appreciate not wanting to sleep beside a smelly beast. So I did. Took a shower, washed up, got all sudsy. You could eat off my asshole right now. You could. S super clean. Sparkling clean. Probably fart in your mouth, but... Uh... <clears throat> so, yeah. Okay, the last time I left you, we were talking about uh, six dead babies in a storage locker in Winnipeg. And we've learned a little bit more about the interesting woman who put said babies in said storage locker. Uh, she's... She's being charged right now, other than the six dead babies, she's being charged with uh, pilfering her 70-something-year-old neighbor out of approximately $7,000. She she took out a loan from this poor old woman who's probably eating cat food now um, and never paid her back. Oh, no, no, sorry. She did pay her back with uh, fake checks. And she's being, you know, talked about as though she's a pillar of the community. She volunteers, very popular in the neighborhood. No one still knows where these babies have come from. No one knows. She has two other kids. Yeah. And I know her old mailman. And this lady apparently has a lot of gambling problems. And she would chase down the mailman on check day, I guess child tax maybe. And yeah, it just goes to prove, you, prove to you that everyone who chases down the mailman on check day is an asshole. Is an absolute asshole. Because like, okay, let's talk this one out because it's weird. Let's just say, for example, let's just say you have six dead babies being stored in a storage locker. Just, just for example. Now, I'm not Susie Orman or if you live in Canada, Gail Vaz Oxlade, who looks like an ox, which is kind of ironic. Do you ever notice um, when she, when she does her shows, she always chokes on her tongue when it's time to say thousand. She'll be like, if you continue on this path, spending the way you're spending right now in five years, you will be 600 million thousand dollars in debt. Like she chokes on her big fat tongue. Like it's amazing to me that she can get her fat tongue out of her mouth that far and like choke on it. And if you're American, Gail Vaz Oxlade, she puts the ox in Oxlade. She's like a money help guru, like Susie Orman, but um, unattractive and heterosexual, I'm assuming. And uh, okay. The point being, I'm not a financial advisor. I really don't do well with my own finances on a personal level, but I can tell you one thing with absolute certainty. If I had six dead babies in a storage locker, I can tell you which bill I'm going to pay first. Is it the cable bill? Mm -mm. Is it the electric bill? Nuh-uh. Is it the mortgage? That can wait. Is it the storage locker that could perhaps get me put in jail for the rest of my ever-loving life? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, I don't want to go to jail. Yeah, I don't want anybody to find my dead babies. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, so it seems reasonable. 
to you and I that perhaps the one bill you make sure to pay month after month is the dead baby storage locker. Am I right? Yeah. And I know I'm making light of this as though it's it's funny. It's just too crazy for me to even fathom the whole scenario that it's like almost cartoonish to me. It's like so insane that I just, it almost feels like it's not even real. Like they're going to come out in a week and say, this is a joke. There were no dead babies. This is all just a joke. Yeah. Anyway, I'll keep you posted as to whether or not um, anyone figures out where these babies come from, like came from, sorry, come from where this baby come from. Yeah. Okay. The In, in other news, there's a few things I want to talk to you about today. One of them, yes, of course, being Honey Boo Boo. So if you live on Mars or in Nova Scotia, here's what happened. Honey Boo Boo's mom, if you don't know what she looks like, she looks like a human foot. Okay? She looks uh, like a refrigerator, grew a big fat neck and a big fat... You know who she looks like? She looks like fat old Renee Zellweger. Like old Renee Zellweger before... All this stuff. She, I, you know, I was thinking about this too. And this kind of really hits home for me. It's like, I feel like Renee Zellweger has had more plastic surgery than that lady who got her face eaten off by her friend's chimp. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I would say Renee, Renee Zellweger got more plastic surgery than the chimp. Why am I repeating myself as though, <laughs> as though it even matters? What a fucking dummy. Hang on, I gotta write something down. Because instead of just skipping from topic to topic, um, I'm going to start writing things down. Because then I forget where I started and then I say things like, what the fuck was I talking about? Uh, such as what I'm about to do right now. Uh, I'm going to get back to Honey Boo Boo Mama. Um, the show that I guest hosted on last week, or last time I talked to you, that um, I didn't want to come out and say which show it was because I thought it perhaps might be private, was The Lesbian Lounge with Denise and Donna. Except it was just The Lesbian Lounge with Denise. And I was on. Because I guess, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's nice of her to have me on. I hope she wasn't too desperate because I'm kind of a loser. But I had a good time. I had a good time. I think Donna is an excellent, excellent co-host. And uh, I paled in comparison, I feel. Although I was funny. But listening back to the show, um, I'm so used to sitting by myself and talking by myself that um, I've lost my ability to answer a straightforward question. Uh, I think she asked me why we're having baby number two, I think three different times and all three different times I didn't answer the question. I just went off into some tangent that made no sense and was not at all pertinent to what we were discussing. Yeah. So long story short, I had a very good time. We talked for like three hours. It breezed by. I really liked Denise. I thought she hated me. I really did. I thought she couldn't stand me because I was just like an obnoxious little fan, like beacon about whatever, but she tolerated me enough to have her on her show and I was honored. It was cool. It's cool to listen to a show for like a long time and then get to go on the show. Because like I've always wondered about parts of her past that either I missed the episode or um, I missed the episode, if you know what I mean. So anyway, that was great. And if you want to go and listen to that, it's uh, My Lesbian Radio or shit, is it My Lesbian Lounge? Fuck, I don't know. Look look for both of those in iTunes. And I think I posted the link in on the Facebook fan page. So you can go look there too. It was a fun show. We did a lot of laughing, a lot of talking. She asked uh, questions that I didn't answer. And you couldn't hear that happening. Lucky you. Okay, now I've written down Mama Bear. Oh no, that's not her name. Mama June and uh, Man Boobs. So, right. Mama June is quite hideous. She looks like really, really fat, old 
Renee Zellweger, not the new uh, overly sculpted shellacked Renee Zellweger, the old one, squinty-eyed, kind of like, it's like her, ugh. anyway, looks like her face is about to explode. You with me? Okay. Anyway, I just, y'all know what she looks like. I don't know why I'm going on and on about this, but she's initially when the story broke, she's dating a child molester who did 10 years time for forcing himself on an eight-year-old girl that's in June's family, mama's family. And that's all we knew at first. And then we get this, the next part of the story is that it was actually June's mama's daughter, the eldest daughter, this guy whom she was in a relationship with, uh, forced oral sex on her own daughter, which is, is disgusting. And, and you hear the daughter tell the story, um, online to like TMZ or People Magazine or whoever the fuck it was. I found it on Twitter and she's just like, I can't believe my mom's doing this to me. And I guess when it happened initially, like 10 years ago or 12 years ago, she, the mom didn't believe the daughter. That's just so, dis that is more disturbing to me than six dead babies in a storage locker. It's just really fucked up. And now all of a sudden she's dating him again. He got out of jail in March and, and they're dating. I, I don't know, like, I know compared to her, I'm a fucking genius. But even in her little walnut-sized brain, she should know that this is disgusting and wrong. And, and her daughter's been victimized and abused by this man. And she's perfectly fine dating him again? Like, I know she's atrocious looking. I know that. And she's pretty dumb. And she, much like myself, probably smells really bad. She, there, there's plenty of fish in the sea, especially when you're a fucking millionaire. Like I knew the show was going to go down. I knew it was going to go down in a very, very bad way. But my assumption was that, uh, I, I remember saying to Sarah, like when the show first started, I said, they better start saving some motherfucking money because this kid's not getting any cuter. She's just getting older and fatter and uglier. Honey boo boo. Yeah. Yeah. But for some reason they became like socially relevant and were worth millions of dollars all of a sudden. And, and, I knew it was going to end badly, but I didn't know it was going to end uh, this badly in such a grotesque way. I just am so disturbed by this. And there's like a photo of the child molester touching little honey boo boo's back. And this fat manatee woman is like trudging down the stairs. Ugh, just why? What part of your fucking stupid brain would allow you to have a child molester who not only molested someone in your family, but your own daughter? It wasn't even like a fourth cousin twice removed. It was your own daughter, more than likely in your own house. And you're perfectly fine with exposing him to a daughter at virtually the same age as the first time he did it to your other kid? Oh my God. Like what? Like, is that brain damage? Is that lack of self-esteem? Has she been molested herself and just walked it off so she doesn't understand why? Like, what if you, I mean, even if you didn't understand the whole molestation thing, even if that part didn't even like bother you or occur to you or anything, if you want to eliminate the fact that this poor, innocent creature was a child, he kind of sought sexual gratification from someone other than you, which is just gross in and of itself. But to do it with a child and your child is just disgusting like I don't know how I feel about corporal punishment but in this case I, I feel like yeah yeah kill him I just I just think anybody who touches a child in that way needs to die 
is that horrible? Is that a redneck opinion? I, I don't really care. It's my opinion. I just think if you're like that ruins a kid's life, like they are ruined for life. Ugh, I'm sorry. This got a little crazy and heated, but I was just absolutely fucking astounded. Like, I know she's dumb. I get it. I get it. She's dumb. She's not very smart or attractive. I really don't know what her good qualities are. I, I don't know. It just, maybe you shouldn't give TV shows to just anyone because it's, it's, uh, it's gross. And it's like all that TL, oh, and TLC is offered for counseling. They've offered to pay for counseling. Yeah, they, they better, they're, they're going to break the bank on that one because this, this is a fucking redneck mess is what this is. Oh, Christ almighty. Uh, they better, they better spring for a stripper pole too. They're going to need it. All right, that's enough of that. I have a segment here from Kendra, and I'm really excited to hear about it because we haven't, haven't heard anything from Kendra in a long time. That was a guilt trip. Yeah, unacceptable. Hang on. Hey, Sandra, it's Kendra with another Adventures in Adopting segment for you. Um, the last time I left you guys was just after the first trip to Ethiopia, and I'm going to finish here with the second trip. Uh, this segment may be a little long, so feel free to... Um, Break it up however you wish, so you don't have to listen to me ramble. Just not sure how to uh, where to put the brakes in here. So um, while I was waiting between the first trip and the second trip, I had to wait for um, him to get a new passport, birth certificate with my name as the parent, um, and there's a few other kind of paperwork stuff that was necessary before I could bring him home. Um, there's also some decisions to make. I didn't wait for him to get a Canadian passport due to the fact that it would have taken a long time um, at the embassy in Nairobi. Um, so instead, I opted to pay the money and get him a Canadian entry visa on his Ethiopian passport, um, even though he was adopted as a Canadian. So um, it was a little bit quicker way to get him home, um, which was my whole plan. Uh, it sometimes takes months to get the uh, actual passport. So I did that and waited and waited and got a little concerned, um, saw other kids coming home. So I actually had to get my uh, MP involved, who actually found out for me when the visa was issued. And that, that's how I found out that I could go and get my little dude, um, that everything was on its way back to Addis. And I could book my flights and basically leave any day. So um, on this trip, I asked my best friend Karen to come with me. Um, the reason I did that was, first off, Karen was the only person during this long process who never once gave an indication that I should stop. Um, a lot of people didn't so much say it, but definitely made me feel it. Uh, Karen has known my whole life how long I've wanted to do this, and she was incredibly supportive. So she was a good person to come with me and to, to have this life event with. And the second reason is Karen is a parent. She has a daughter that's a year younger than Taya. And um, so I felt that that was good. She also wasn't uh, going to be a person that was going to be in his life every day, like uh, some of my family could be once we got home. So if I needed to pass him off to her, there wasn't an issue with attachment um, and things like that. So, and she has some, you know, she was going to be thinking with a clear mind, which I probably wasn't. So... She actually agreed to come with me. She just had to play for her flights. So I paid for everything else um, for the trip. And yeah, she she uh, flew across around the world with me. Um, the other thing we had to do was we had to book flights through a country where Taya's Ethiopian passport 
he could travel on that without needing a visa. Because getting a visa once you're there is a bit of a pain in the butt. So um, we ended up going through Germany. Um, as long as we didn't leave the secured customs area, we were fine. We didn't need a pass or a visa for him. And it was an easy flight home. So um, we flew there uh, out of Toronto through Germany. A little stop in Somalia for some extra excitement. And into Addis. Um, when we got there, we couldn't find our driver, which was problem number one. So you get through the airport. Last time the driver was standing there waiting for us as soon as we got our bags checked. Um, this time, no driver. So we were like, okay, well maybe he's outside. And someone mentioned drivers had to be outside. So we went outside the uh, doors, no driver. Um, so here's the problem. We have no phone. We, we don't speak the language. We're two white girls. And we're uh, standing outside this airport, which we now can't get back in because it's a secure area. So I guess since my first trip there and my trip back, um, they had changed the rules and the drivers were not allowed past the parking lot. Uh, so anyways, we eventually figured this out. Some guy lent us his phone and we were able to call. We had a number and we got it sorted out and uh, managed to get our way to the guest house for the evening. Um, the following morning, we were back at the airport at like five in the morning because I, I took this trip I uh, had arranged to actually meet the birth family. Um, Tay was born in Harar which is a UNESCO site. The city is very very old. It's a walled city type of thing. So we were flying out there. Um, one of the things with the, air, the airport is that there's no line in order like there is in Canada. So they have a lineup but if somebody's free then you just go. Um, and us being the, like, white girls and the polite Canadians didn't know this um, until someone told us you pretty much have to push your way up to one of the, f like, the airport check-in people or you're never going to get on your flight. Um, which to us kind of felt rude because we didn't want to look like the entitled white people either, right? Um, so we uh, eventually figured that out. We managed to get on the airplane. We went to Harar, small little airplane. Um, we actually landed in Diradawa, which is the closest airport, and our driver was there. He apparently was there the day before, too, because he had our flight information wrong. Because um, all of this was booked through our contacts through the agency, so I didn't actually book any of this on my own. Um, it's about an hour drive. Uh, we were in this van. We had about an hour drive into Harar. Um, beautiful countryside. We were definitely the only white people for miles and miles and miles and miles. Um, we were quite a sight to be seen, but it was kind of neat to see how all the little houses are built. They look, it looks like a lot like, um, bedrock from the Flintstones. Um, and as we went in, they, we told them we were staying at the Rhoda guest house. So there's a Rhoda guest house and a Rhoda hotel. And I knew the Rhoda guest house was in the old city. Um, but we got taken to the Rhoda hotel and I was pretty sure that was incorrect, but the driver was convinced we were correct. So we show up at this hotel, which... Um, it was a little questionable and we get to the front desk and go to check in and they're like, we don't have a, we don't have anything for you. And I said, is this, is the guest house different? And he's like, yes, 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 you need to go down. So he gave some directions to the driver who seemed to not know where we were going at all. And, uh, back in the van we get. So instead of going to the guest house, um, we continued to the office for the agency or for the orphanage. Um, I got to see Taya's file, all the history that they had when they brought him in, which was essentially one page. Um, there was a picture of him the day he was dropped off there. There was a picture of his birth mother. And 
very limited information, basically nothing. So from there, we picked up the orphanage guy, who was going to be also our tour guide, but we didn't know that. Um, and went to the actual orphanage where Taya was originally dropped off. So we actually had brought a lot of donations to that orphanage. So we dropped all those off, played with the kids a bit, got to see kind of got our tour of the orphanage um, before leaving there. Then we continued um, to go to back to the hotel. Um, <laughs> now the orphanage guy seems to think that we're staying at the Rota Hotel. So he's like, we're going to drop you off get rid of your luggage and we're like okay no problem so we pull back up to the hotel and at this point Karen's starting to look a little bit worried um I've been to Africa before and know that things don't always go smoothly but she's like I'm like this isn't the hotel like we're not staying here we're staying at a guest house and the orphanage guy is like yeah you're staying here and we're like no we've already been here and I look at the driver who's the same driver and I look at and I'm like we were just here so anyways the orphanage guy now goes in because I'm not taking all our bags out of the vehicle again, and comes back out and goes, yeah, this is the wrong spot. And we're like, no, no kidding, eh? So um, I guess he got some sort of directions as well. And instead of going to the guest house, we then just found out that we were going to the birth family, to meet the birth family and do that visit, which was interesting because I thought we were doing that the following day. So we drive out um, just outside of town, get out of the vehicle and walk up this huge hill. And uh, yeah, we got to, uh, I actually got to meet Taya's birth mother and his aunt and a cousin and see where he lived, which was essentially a one room hut. Um, maybe at best 10 by 10. Um, there was, the beds were on the floor against the wall. It was neat inside, but all cooking was done outside. There was no plumbing or anything like that. It was literally just a room, just a shelter. Um, so I got to meet her, we got some photos, um, asked some questions. I basically put Karen in charge of the camera, so I did not have to worry about that. Um, it was heartbreaking. She wanted me to fly her to Addis to see him one more time, which I couldn't do because I can't financially give the family any money or it's kind of considered like buying the child. So um, that part was heartbreaking, but it was nice that we got to have that time. I gave her a picture of all the photos I have that I had that other um, adoptive fam families had taken at the orphanage for me before I could meet him. Um, some pictures of our family and his room and the house and stuff so she could see where he was coming to live. And um, then we went on our way. So yeah, that was kind of a, that visit was strange and emotional and um, interesting. So after that, we, we proceeded down to the guest house. Um, <laughs> The guest house is in the walled city, which is the oldest part of Harar, and it's it's essentially a bunch of walls. There's um, five different gates into the walled city, and they all kind of meet in the middle. And then through, like in between those gates, there's a whole bunch of like tall walls, and everything's like a maze. So we had to eventually get out of the vehicle and walk our bags to this guest house, because the vehicle can't go down all these alleyways. And this is where Karen really started to lose her shit. Um... <laughs> One, we weren't sure we were going to find our way back to the city square from the guest house because there was a lot of weaving and turning and whatnot. And she was like, where the hell are we staying? Um, turns out the guest house was actually pretty nice. We had the main house part where like the, the central room where everybody eats and everything is. Um, we had that whole area to ourselves at night. We just locked this giant door and we had the two beds in there and, and a bathroom and... Um, 
everybody else stayed in the the outer the rooms along the outer walls um so it was kind of nice we had a, a really nice place to stay it was a traditional harari home um we were up in the morning we served breakfast uh and it was pretty nice um after we checked in the tour guide the first night did ask us where we wanted to go and of course i wanted to see the brewery there's a brewery in harar um what we didn't know is that women <laughs> women don't traditionally drink in this area and uh we also had to be in by 8 o'clock at night because if you were having a beer in a bar after that, you were considered a prostitute. Um, so, so we had some early nights while we were out there and uh, learned a few things. Um, we were given the rest of the day to kind of wander around. We did feel safer there than in the capital city. Most people did just want to talk to us. Um, you know, we stuck out, but we didn't, we didn't get bothered. We didn't get... Nobody tried to get money from us. It was uh, pretty nice. So... That evening we were picked up around sundown um, by our tour guide that we didn't know was our tour guide um, to go and feed the hyenas. There's a guy there that feeds the hyenas and uh, we were taken out on this little three-wheel cart jobby thing and um, these creepy looking hyenas that are like right at the Lion King uh, come out of the bushes and you get a stick. And he puts a piece of raw meat on it, and these hyenas come and eat the meat off the stick, and you can feed them while the other end of your stick's, the stick's in your mouth, or you can hold it, or whatever. Um, it was a bit of creepy, but we did, uh, we did manage to uh, do that. Um, I'm happy I came away with my life. And, yeah. So, anyways, that's the end of day one. I'm going to stop it here because I'm 12 minutes in, and I'll send the rest of the uh, trip home um, another time. All right. Bye. What a great story. What a tremendously good story. Some of the sound might be a little bit buggered on that only because, uh, potentially Kendra might have covered the mic at certain points, which is okay. It's understandable. Let's just not, uh, make a big deal about it. You just turn it up and then you turn it down. That's it. Why don't you, uh, just chill the fuck out about it. Okay. Everyone has good and bad days. Everyone. Okay, where do I start? Um, yes, I understand about the airport and there being no line. And you don't want to feel like the overprivileged white people and march on up. But at some point, you fucking have to. I, I don't know how. I saw an intersection in Ethiopia once with no lights. And everyone just somehow managed to not get into an accident and just go where they're going. Like a four-way uh, intersection. How, how did they not kill each other? I watched it. I was like transfixed. It was like five minutes of video. And I was just like, how are, how is nobody dying? I don't get it. Um, yes. You know what? I'm with your friend, Karen, 110%. Mostly because, uh, I don't think I ever want to go to Africa because I'm really afraid of getting killed. So yeah, it seemed a little fucking shady. Seemed a little real shady, whatever the fuck you guys were doing there, because, uh, not knowing where they're staying and... You, you can't drink either. And if you're having a drink after dark, you're a prostitute. Eey. Yikes. Yikes. It's kind of cool that you got to see where um, your kid's home was, like where he came from, and uh, meet his mom and share those photos with her and stuff like that. That's um, That must have been a really uh, interesting experience. Because, you know, he came from a good place and she loved him very much, but she just couldn't afford to take care of him. She just couldn't. And it must have 
filled her heart in a very good way that you, she knew that you were a kind woman and you were going to take care of him and he was going to a very nice place and he would be very well cared for. Cause I'm sure, I mean, her knowing that she couldn't do for him, knowing that you could must've made her feel really good. So. Oh, I'm getting emotional. Oh man. It's quite the journey you went on. Like what an intense thing. I mean, all the, ups and downs and the heartbreak and now you're just trying to get him home and not get killed or offered money for sexual favors it's just just a big deal okay just stop this entirely I, I just wanted to finish up one thought that has nothing to do with kindness or generosity or any kind of personal voyage it has to do with breasts uh it has to do with breasts um i am a staunch homosexual i have no gray area i'm just a carpet muncher I'm just into the vag, the old vagaroonie. And yet, somehow, when I watch the first few episodes of The Biggest Loser, or as I like to say, The Fattest Man, this is really hard to say, there's a part of me, without thinking, like at a glance, I see these rather large men, and they're rather large areola on rather large fatty pectoral tissue that resemble a woman's breasts and uh i find myself aroused intensely intensely aroused just for a split second before before i remember that they're men there's a part of me that sees breasts and uh I'm, I'm coming to terms with it. This isn't the first time I've watched The Fattest Man. This isn't the first time I've seen luscious, pendulous, round breasts on morbidly obese men and been attracted to it. It's the only time, really, I've been ashamed of my homosexuality. I need a telethon. Someone's got to raise money for me. I need counseling. I need honey boo-boo counseling money. Like a lot of it. I need a lot of that counseling money. <sighs> okay, you know what? I think that's it for me. Um, I'm going to put in some rose after this, but I don't have time to listen to it because my in-laws are downstairs and uh, it's almost bedtime and then my kid's going to come up here and start fucking screaming. So I will play her stuff and then um, I will talk about it next week. Or the next time. Who knows? It could be tomorrow. I could record tomorrow. Who the fuck knows? And I still have one more segment from Kendra. So hang in there. I know you hate me, but hang in there for her. So here is Rose talking about being child-free, which is a point of view we don't often get to hear from because it's kind of got a bit of a pox on it. It's kind of got a bit of a stigma. A stigma. Okay. And iTunes reviews, thank you so much. I got three donations this week, and they were ample and very much appreciated. And I don't know if you want me to say your names on the show. So if you do want me to say your names on the show, send me an email and I will very gladly do that. But if you want to be mysterious, I will not. Anyway, my, okay, iTunes reviews are important. You can do that. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Sandra D. Sanchez. And what else? Oh yeah, check, check me out on the Lesbian Lounge podcast. You can do that. You can leave them an iTunes review. They could probably appreciate that very much. And that's about it. So here's Rose. She's going to close down the show. And, uh, oh, change of address 69 at gmail.com if you want to send me any audio. And I got to go downstairs and pretend I didn't just 
talk about dead babies and the biggest loser man breasts and how clean my asshole is. Okay, so hang on. Here's Rose. Hey, everybody, this is Rose, and I am finally doing this segment for Sanchez um, to explain why I am child-free by choice, which um, is a nice way of putting it. Um, I have had some people ask, uh, why don't you want kids with the not-so-subtle undertone of, what kind of monster are you? You're a woman. Don't you know what you were made for? Because face it. And sorry, I'm going to sniff a lot because I've got sinus problems. Hey, good thing I didn't pass those on to some little tyke. But anyway, before I go any further, let's face the fact that men don't get questioned that way. Um, men can be confirmed bachelors, and it can either mean that they're gay or that they're just swinging, swinging loosey-goosey free. And if those confirmed bachelors don't want to be dads, nobody gives a shit. Um, except maybe a woman who's, you know, tapping the, the watch of her biological clock thing and saying, dude, come on, I want to procreate with you. And then she finds out, oh, he doesn't want to. And then she dumps him and finds another guy. But they're not treated necessarily like, I just have never, like, I know guys that don't, that aren't dads. I know guys who've had their, who've had, they've been snipped or whatever, and I've never heard anybody ask them why don't they don't want to be a dad. And they've told me that they don't get questioned the way that I've been questioned. Um, and in fact, you know, men had half a million vasectomies during this last recession, which it was barely a news story that I, uh, that I saw this past week. Um, and compare that to the constant news that there is of abortion clinics being shut down or just battling for, for choice for when a woman can get an abortion or how difficult it is for a woman to have that choice. That's like a huge fucking battleground and is still a bone of contention in voting. But a bunch of dudes get vasectomies. <gasps> Who cares? So I know I'm digressing a little bit, but you're raising a little man there, Sanchez, and sometimes things like this, maybe it's a thing. Anyway, um, so it just, it, it bothers me. Like, I get it. You know, men are the donors. They, they shoot the load either into a sock or into a vag or, or into a specimen jar to be inserted in another woman. Or literally, I do know a guy that shot it into a baster for my two lesbian friends back in the 80s. Yep, you weren't the first one, Sanchez. Um, this was 1982 that I knew somebody who got successfully pregnant that way. And they were all three gay, so they probably had a super hetero kid. Um, but it's just, like, I get it. Like, the guys, the guys aren't the incubators. But that said, it seems kind of creepy to reduce a woman purely to being an incubator. In other words, you can know a woman and either think that she's an awful cunt or think that she's super smart or funny or interesting or a really great mechanic or any number of things that you would think about a person. But ultimately, there's that underlying thing of, is she doing her duty as an incubator? Is she doing her duty as an incubator? She's got a womb. She better do something with it. And that just seems sad to me. Um, it just, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem whatever the fuck. I know, biology. Biology ain't fair. So anyway, why, why me? Why did I choose not to be a parent? And if you've heard some of my prior segments, you can probably tell that I'm, that I'm more than a little bit fucked up. Um, I am a clusterfuck of the worst possible combination of nature and nurture. The DNA in my family is 
multi-generational mental illness. And apparently we have a hard time talking really quickly too. Um, so there's that as well as addiction issues. And so when you have that DNA in your family, that nature in your family, that means you also have multi-generations of shitty nurturers. So um, for me, that means I have no recollection of being raised and feeling loved at all. I don't recall being told that I was loved at least by my mom, which is, it's her side of the family where the mental illness is. Woo -woo! Continuing the tradition, fine, fine tradition. Um, so I just, I didn't have that. I just, you know, her mom was awful to her and I'm sure that it was the same with my great grandmother and my mom was just a piece of shit parent. Um, she's barely not a piece of shit human being. Um, I understand why, but that still doesn't mean that it's a it's a legacy to preserve and pass on, and that's for fucks sure. So, um, so that was that's that's kind of a big part of it, like in a super quick nutshell. Um, but I didn't actually originally know that a hundred percent when I was a real little kid. There was um, I found a school assignment that I wrote in like second or third grade, where I was asked to write. The assignment was to write where we saw ourselves when we were thirty years old, and apparently I saw myself as married um, to a man. Uh, the disgusting world of heterosexuality is all I've ever known, um, and I. And so I was going to be married with two kids, which I wrote in all capitals, both adopted. Because back then, um, if I was going to have a kid, I only saw the the idea of adopting or being a foster parent um, because I felt that there were enough unwanted kids in the world that deserved a home um, more than any selfish desire for me to have a mini-me. Um, and honestly, I also just thought the entire idea of pregnancy and childbirth completely disgusting. I hadn't even had my period yet, but holy shit, I, I knew what my lady parts looked like and what I did not want to try to shove out there. And I thought pregnant women looked disgusting. So sure, I guess that made me a monster at age seven. Fine, sue me. Did I mention my nature nurture background? There you go. Um, and so that's that's kind of kind of where where I thought about it at the time, and and even when I still kind of you know entertained the idea of it, um, you know I also took into well I mean then I didn't take this in, into fact, but if as an adult you know beyond being seven years old, if as an adult I ever had any interest in being a parent. I still would have gone along the route of being of adopting or being a foster parent um, because climate change is a fucking thing, y'all. Um, in the past 40 years, 50% of the wildlife has been wiped out. That's right. Since I was 11 years old to now, 50% of the wildlife has been wiped out. Did you do the math? Thanks. Um, and so much ice has melted from Antarctica that it's slightly, it's already slightly affecting the Earth's axis. And if Hollywood has taught us anything with disaster movies, you don't want to be fucking with the Earth's axis, y'all. I mean, shit, some of us have already gotten a, a taste of just 
of, of how climate change is affecting us, whether it was like that crazy awful storm that hit New York a couple of years ago, um, and we were without power for 10 days, um, to the drought that's going on in California right now, there are towns that have no water whatsoever. Um, it's fucked. It's fucked. And there are a lot of reasons for climate change, and among them is overpopulation. So I would have rather just taken part of that population that's already here and tried to raise it versus add more fucked up carbon footprint. But again, that's me. That's that's where my head was at. Um, and And that's also kind of like Another thing for me along the adoption route and, you know, like why that would have been my only choice um, is I just can't imagine wanting to sentence anyone to this shitty world. I mean, it's a it's a dying planet. Society is shitty. I've felt that way my whole life, pretty much. Um, you know, and now we have the lovely Isis. We have uh, Ebola. And we have Bruce Jenner's face. Jesus fucking Christ. I do not need to bring a kid into the world to see Bruce Jenner's face or a Kardashian ass. Like, no. Like, there's there's enough kids that are already stuck having to deal with that shit. I don't need to bring, bring in another one just so it might look like me. Um, but again, that's me. Um, but I, you know, at, at one time, I felt like at least by adopting someone that's already here, I'm not adding to the problem. And I'd be trying to help a kid who's already been sentenced. You know, they didn't have that choice. They, their parents just pumped them and dumped them. Um, but by the time I was in high school or so, I knew that I never even wanted to do that. So um, I, you know, went on the pill as soon as I was sexually active when I was 18 and was on it until I was 29 or 30 when I was living in Berkeley and in the waiting room of Planned Parenthood. And at that time, Norplant was on the market and Norplant is something, it's a birth control that you inject into your, that's injected into the, uh, your upper arm. And so that way you've got birth control running through your body for three months. So you don't have to worry about forgetting to take a pill or yes, women, you can get pregnant on the pill because if you're throwing up or having diarrhea for whatever reason, you've probably passed your pill. So the rest of your pack is useless for the month. You best be having a backup plan. Cause yeah, I've known a couple of women who've gotten pregnant on, on the pill. One during her honeymoon, because she was throwing up the entire time on the cruise. Hooray! And that's when she knew she got pregnant. Um, so anyway, I was sitting there in the waiting room, and I knew that I was never, ever, ever going to change my mind about wanting to be a parent, despite tons of people telling me, oh, you'll change your mind, because apparently they know me better than I know myself. I knew I wasn't going to. And then I got creeped out by the fact that I was seriously considering having something implanted into my body to keep my decision going, mainly chemicals useless chemicals that the only reason why I'm having them is because I don't want to do something. So why not just take that final step and get my tubes tied? And so that's what I did. Um, I explained the DNA background in my family with Planned Parenthood um, and my age and basically a lot of what I'm telling you in this thing. And, and they give you a time to think about it. And then you come back and it's an outpatient procedure. And the only thing that I remember is that I had to be careful for a week or two um, not to 
lift gallons of milk or unpack boxes of books on the job because I didn't want to bust open um, the stitches. And the other thing that I remember is that anybody who wanted to see, I would pull down my waistband and show them the scars of freedom on my belly button because that's what I referred to them, my little scars of freedom. Um, and, and that was it. Um, or so I thought. Um, I still have had a lot of crazy reactions to that fact. Um, fuck, for 20 years now. 20 years it's been since I've had my tubes tied. Shit. Um, and like I said, I got this process done when I was living in Berkeley in the 90s, which is like a super liberal, super progressive, super awesome town. Um, but I still got some blowback there. And the demographic that gave me the most blowback were lesbians, which at first really confused me because I'm like, you are the uber women. You are women on women action. More than anybody, you should understand our bodies, ourselves, my body, my choice. But then I thought about my friend back in the early 80s. Like I said, their friend shot into a wad and they basted it into the the mom that was going to be the mom and had the kid. And luckily, they didn't have to pay anything for it. But I've worked for another woman who went through a lot of expense for so that way she and her wife, I'm going to call, it, call her her wife because they're married as far as I'm concerned, so that they could have kids. Um, and, and so I understood, like, oh, from these women's perspective, I have this gift that I'm just throwing away. And it's something that they really, really want to have. And, and so that, like, helped me, like, understand and be a little bit more patient and, and kind of deal with some real ugly heat sometime. I mean, it was... I mean, one woman basically t told me, like, I sh like, she wanted a kid so bad, like, why couldn't I just have one and give it to her? Like, crazy talk. Out of pain. Out of their pain, I guess. Um, and then another thing that I would hear a lot um, was that not to worry, you know, because before I had my tube side, people were always like, oh, you'll change your mind, you'll change your mind, you'll change your mind, you'll change your mind. And I'm like, I'm sorry, this is a really serious decision. So I've pretty it's made up my mind. Like, I've considered it long and hard. Um, but a few people told me not to worry about the fact that I had my tubes tied because when I changed my mind, I could have it reversed. That's right. Not if I change my mind, but when I change my mind. Because apparently, I'm such a flibbity jib that I'm going to, you know, go under a knife or whatever the fuck for something that I might change my mind six weeks later and have reversed. Because that's that's how it works with being a parent. One day you want to be one, the next day you don't. Next day you do. Blah, blah, blah. That doesn't seem like a great way to be a parent. Um, it's kind of like telling somebody who's finally getting the tattoo of their dreams, oh, don't worry, you can always laser it off. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. You Anyway. Um, and, and it's also, sometimes the way that I've been asked about it, it's almost as if it seems like adult women aren't capable of making these kinds of decisions themselves. Like, that's how it's being like, almost like, oh, they're there, pat me on the head. You don't really know what's best for you. It's like, really? If I don't know what's best for me, then why the fuck do you think I would know what's best for having a kid? Does that seem like a good parent? Doubt it. Um, a few parents have said that they really respect the fact that I know my limits um, and don't want to fuck up a kid and therefore just, you know, add a burden onto society. And 
but those are kind of few. Um, other parents who, when I explain like how seriously I think parenting is, like if you're going to be a parent, your kid should be your number one priority. You know, you make them feel loved, all your time and energy, like the bulk of it goes towards that, um, which is what would make me absolutely hate it. Um, I've had those parents tell me that because I take it so seriously, that means I'd be a good parent and there needs to be more parents like me. So I should have a kid. It's like, nope, 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 nope. Um, or someone will also tell me that based on, you know, seeing me interact for five or ten minutes with a kid, that I'm great with kids and therefore I should have one of my own. You know what? Heroin addicts are great with heroin, too. The first time that they put a needle under their skin, it was a little bit tough, but then they got really good at it. Does that mean that they should be a heroin addict? No. I can do spreadsheets. I'm really good at spreadsheets. I'm really good at, like, balancing other people's books. I don't want to do that 24 fucking 7. New, 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 new. Um, so anyway, there's that. Um, and this weekend, uh, with three of my lady friends, it kind of brought this all home in a, in a new and special way. One of my friends, Kay, has a three-year-old that I genuinely enjoy, and her kid really likes me, like... When we're going to be hanging out together, her kid will ask if I'm going to be in the picture because her kid really wants to see me. Like her kid brought me a bouquet of flowers that she picked herself for my birthday when we all went to the lake. Like this kid likes me. And this kid is a smart kid because Kay and her husband Jay um, are really good parents. Like I've, I've seen them deal with her when she's fussy and treat her like a human being and not a baby. Like I'm really, really impressed with it. Um, but that still doesn't mean that I want to be have one. Um, and Kay doesn't want to have have another kid. Um, one of our other friends, Titi, I'll get to her in a minute, even asked Kay if Kay wanted another kid. And Kay was like, no, 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 no. Because the awesome kid that she does have wasn't planned. Um, the only reason why she had this kid was because she'd had an abortion the year before and couldn't put herself through it again. And for me, that wouldn't be a good enough reason for me to have a kid. For me. Um, this other friend of mine, uh, we'll call her S, she's 40. She doesn't have any kids. She's been married for, oh, about eight years now or so, seven or eight years. Um, her husband's 10 years younger than her, so he's still plenty fertile unless it's all been killed out by his alcoholism. I kid, I don't kid. I love them both, but it's sad. Um, she's, like I said, she doesn't have any kids. She doesn't, hasn't necessarily ever wanted kids. Um, she's also had an abortion, and she told me that if she were to get pregnant again, she'd roll with it. That's what she would do. She wouldn't have another abortion. She'd roll with it, um, which, again, great that she's willing to take on that responsibility. Um, and, oh, and since I've brought up abortion twice, maybe you're also wondering, hey, kid hater, hey, unnatural, monstrous woman, I bet you've also killed one, too, haven't you? Nope, never had an abortion. Never needed one. Yep, I am careful like a motherfucker, because when I know I don't want something, by God, I fucking make sure that I don't have it. <laughs> 
I don't care how many backup plans I have to have. I make sure that that ain't going to happen, and it ain't never did. And I know sometimes luck can play into that, but, man, I minimalized any luck having anything to do with it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. I've never had to go through, through what is understandably a very painful decision for people to go through, but thankfully a choice that women have. Anyway, well, let's get back to the, the last lady. We'll call her T.T., that is actually the nickname she wishes she had. She has two kids. One is two years old and another one that's 10 months old. And um, before I say all this stuff that I'm going to say about her, I feel like I really should also explain that I respect how open and honest she is about her really raw feet really raw feelings, um, because by her being able to talk about this with us, that meant that she could get advice from Kay or, or whatever. So, um, so just because I'm laying out these details of a conversation, um, don't assume that I'm doing it from a place of judgment, even though I sound like a snarky-ass bitch sometimes. Um, so she's got these two kids. One's two, one's 10 months old. And she said that it wasn't until she had her second kid, and her second kid was about six months old, so four months ago, that she realized why people have kids and, like, how nice it is to be a parent. Um, she had really bad postpartum with her son, the first one. The second one is a girl, which maybe that's also part of the difference, what makes it feel easier for her, maybe because she understands girls better than boys. I don't know. Um, maybe she just didn't have as bad post postpartum. But she she can tell how different these kids have already been impacted by her reaction to each one of them being born. Um, and it causes her a lot of concern. And that's awesome. That's It's awesome that it causes her that much concern because that means that she's being proactive about it. So, again, that's that's kind of why I'm mentioning all that. Um, but she also complained a lot about her husband and the fact that she should have realized that he was somebody who was basically determined to get married and have kids. Like it's something he did to her. And I say that because she actually asked Kay, don't you just get so frustrated with, with your husband that you ask him, why did you do this to me? Why did you get me pregnant? Why did you make me have kids? And I bit my tongue saying, you chose to have the kid. You both worked together and had a pregnancy. But ultimately, you were the one that chose to continue that pregnancy. So you can't blame your husband for that. And it kind of breaks my heart that you see it as something that was done to you. It breaks my heart for you and for the kids and for your husband. So anyway, um, and she also said that she didn't realize how much she'd miss her freedom and the life that she's had to give up. She used to travel a lot, and she's really creative. I mean, all my friends travel a lot and are really super creative. And that's really hard to do when you have one kid, let alone two kids. And she didn't realize how much she'd miss her old life and, and how much she would resent the fact that she misses her old life. And, you know... She hasn't adapted to it in, in two years. And again, that kind of makes me sad for the future. Um, and then, of course, she also asked me, you know, about me not being a mom. And I explained kind of exactly a lot of what I've explained here. And she asked me if I ever regretted my choice. And I really had to, like, not laugh after hearing, you know, the other women talk about their 
decisions and choices. It's like, why the fuck? Like, listen to yourselves. Like, why would I regret that just based on what you're saying about your own experience? Um, because I don't regret it. I've, I've missed nothing except vomit, diarrhea, screaming, crying, first words, walking, all that shit that I don't care about. If I miss anything, it's, it's adults. I miss, you know, like there are times when I wish I had more adult friends that I was close to. And yeah, that gets harder and harder because they're all busy being parents instead of being friends. And I understand it, but that's, that's my only regret. You know, it's, it's weird. You don't have a built as a, as a parent, you have a built in social life because your kids are in school, you have play dates. And so you meet other parents who you may like or who you may hate. You don't have that built in thing, you know, not having kids and, a lot of people who don't have kids are losers, like me. I'll admit it. I'm a loser in many ways. I'm awesome in other ways. Um, so, so that's what I miss is like sometimes awesome adult companionship that can sometimes be easier to at least have as a acquaintance when you're a parent. Um, but anything having to do with parenting, I knew. No, no, no. I'm... I'm barely responsible for myself. I've finally gotten better at it. Um, and I'm responsible, happy to be responsible only for a four-legged pussy. That's that's enough for me. So, um, so there you go. Feel free to ask any questions. Um, please don't take any of what I said about my choices for myself as any kind of judgment or indictment for why anybody else has chosen to, to do what they do, because I'm not walking in your shoes. I'm just sitting here with bare feet explaining why I'm really happy that I'm barefoot and never pregnant. Bye. Hey everybody, this is Rose with hopefully a super short segment and I just want to say I know that I probably sounded angry or defensive in my whole long thing about why I'm child free and I thought about it and I think the big thing that gets my hackles up is it's a personal question and People ask each other personal questions all the time, I get it, but I've never asked anybody else why they have a kid. I don't ask if that kid was planned or unplanned, although honestly, when somebody becomes pregnant and they really wanted that kid, dear God, you can't get them to shut up about it. And of course, if I talked about any of my pets that way, I'd sound crazy. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the main thing. It's like, it's, I, I don't ask other people about things like that. And so I guess that's why, Jesus, 30 years, 20, no, I'm sorry, 20 years after the fact, it's still weird that I'm, that I get asked it. Anyway, there's that. And I want to say a couple of things real quick. Yes, Electric Gary, I am really familiar with Dana Gold and I do love his podcast. I'm glad that you gave it a shout out and how, and also I'm completely fine with how over the top he is about Planet of the Apes. Because I've got an original 1970s Planet of the Apes bank. So, yeah, I kind of like it, too. I'm not as fanatical as he is about the apes. But um, it's nice to just know that there's one other person that really loves the shit out of those movies. And um, I've gone through all of his back catalog on YouTube that I could find and Netflix and all that. And Dana Gould is one of my favorites. I, I don't know if I'd be brave enough to approach him if I saw him wandering down the street um, just because he's so smart. Not that Eddie Pepitone isn't smart, but Pepitone just comes across warmer, face it.
he comes across warmer. And in case you haven't already heard, Pepitone uh, has the Bitter Buddha podcast, which is up and down. It's not like your typical uh, kind of comedy podcast in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, it's kind of be similar to Jen Kirkman's I Seem Fun podcast and that it's more of a diary, kind of an update you know, what's going on kind of a thing versus trying to pack in as many jokes as possible, storytelling, ha-ha, or interviewing comedians kind of thing, although he does sometimes do that too. So anyway, there's that. And God damn, I love that tampon joke. Oh, God damn. I wish I wish I am going to like look for good jokes to tell your wife because having to have injections for any reason, health problems in general suck. Um, I, I am beyond empathetic, uh, when it comes to that. So she's a very lucky woman to, uh, to have you, um, be so supportive and make her laugh and know what's needed. And I'm trying to think, I feel like there was one more thing I was going to say. Oh yes, Sanchez, of course you could give me a hug anytime. Um, it wouldn't be that exciting for you. Although I do have extra weight on me. Um, but they're not all up in the boobs. Um, I have more roles in other areas, but yeah, I bring some pumpkin butter and, uh, and just slather it all over those rolls and uh, give me a big old autumnal hug or any other kind of hug. Anyway, that's it. I just wanted to send this. Okay, bye.